Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Melvin Gaines. We're going to go ahead and get started with some music while we allow other people to join us online. We appreciate you being here. And uh, the music is from the Broadview Baptist Chapel Choir. I came to magnify the Lord. Amen. Here we go. So we're going to play that and... A little peppy. Wake some folks up. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, good morning, Ronnie. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Mr. Gaines. Thank you for being here this morning. <laughs> Amen. Good morning to everybody here in the church as well, too, who made it through. Didn't let that snow forecast scare you to death. Right here. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Hang in there, Ronnie. We'll keep praying, of course, for your recovery. Amen. Morning, Brother Fry. Denise, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. And just as a heads up to everybody in the audience as well, too, we can't see everybody that jumps on. We can see some people, and we don't know why. That's just one of the idiosyncrasies of Facebook. Uh, but. We can see some people, but not everybody. So if I don't say your name and you're on, well, I can't see you. So, um, so for what it's worth. What does that mean, my on-air is off? I don't know what that means. It is? Oh, that. Turn my sign on. Thank you. I forgot to do that. Yes. Thank you. That makes it official. <laughs> That's the official symbol right there. Jackie, good morning. Thank you for being here. We have to have an official sign here to let people know that we're on the air. That's what we're doing. So That's what we have. People know we're on the air here. We have to turn the light on. <laughs> morning, Jackie. I've got coffee too. We appreciate you being here this morning. He is worthy of our praise. Amen. 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 Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. 
That was the Broadview Baptist Chapel Choir. I came to magnify the Lord. Amen. Amen. And uh, we appreciate you being here this morning. We have a, a few things, uh, items of uh, business to cover here. First of all, um, we had asked our, our church family to pray for our neighbor, Anita, who took a fall yesterday. And she um, broke her tailbone. So she is having a surgery this morning. Uh, at uh, Hillcrest Hospital to uh, repair that, and uh, I, I'm going to assume it's going to mean a bit of a little bit of time of rehab as soon once that repair is done. But we want to keep her in prayer because things happened very quickly yesterday. It was literally while we were out running errands, we didn't see the ambulance, we didn't see anything happening, and it, her, her mother had to call us and let us know uh, that she had taken that fall and was in the hospital again. She's been in the hospital now three times in the last. December, yeah, she's been out in and out of the hospital. So this was just another incident. But just keep her in prayer because she is having that surgery this morning, and she is um, she's in good hands, the Lord's hands. I mean, whenever the Lord is involved, that's the best the best you can ask for. So keep her in prayer, please. Um, uh, keep Ronnie in prayer because Ronnie's saying she's still feeling a little under the weather. So we want to keep her in prayer as well too. So since she mentioned that, and I'm just going to pass it on as well too. And um, those are the ones that come to mind immediately that we need to be of concern of right now. Of course, we always want to keep our church family in prayer. Amen. We, we know things happen and we have our little aches and pains. Um, uh, Miss Donna, we're going to keep her in prayer because I know she's been in pain and she's been kind of just dealing with it. So we're going to get that taken care of. Uh, I meant Barb. I'm sorry. I said Donna, didn't I? I meant Barb. Sorry about that. I'm looking right at her, and I say Donna, or I say Barb anyway, so I don't say Donna. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying that. So we're just going to keep working on it. Um, thank you for the correction. I have to have an, a, that's why I have to have an administrative assistant over here, because sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about. So I have to get that taken care of. Thank you. Um, please uh, make a note that we will be uh, having, uh, for those of you on the timeline for our Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page, we will be going live with a our message later today uh, during our morning service. You should be able to see it on the timeline here and also on our Akron Alliance Fellowship group page. So you'll get a notification to that effect in about 11.15 and, and hopefully you'll be able to tune in and see that. That's for those of you who are not able to come to church here uh, in Akron, but we always want to have the complete church experience available online as much as we can. So that's what we're always striving for, so we appreciate you keeping that in mind. And Pastor Gus will be bringing the message today. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We do value your prayers over what you're contributing to the church because we want to make sure that we always have the benevolent factor involved where we're able and ready to give for somebody who's in, in, in important has an important need. We want to be able to help them out where we can. So Please make sure that you are worshiping by giving and pray about what you're giving. If you are mailing your tithes or offerings to us, please mail them to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. We appreciate you doing that as well, too. So we've covered that business, the prayer issues, the live message. I think we're good to go. So with that in mind, we are ready to get into our Sunday School lesson. Our Sunday School lesson is going to be continuing in the book of John, and we've got the passages we're covering today, John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36. The 
lesson today is pretty um, concise. It is continuing in the discussion that Jesus has with the religious leaders, people who are questioning him, questioning what he's doing, why he's there, what he's all about. And, you know, when we talk about how Jesus is, is being questioned, a lot of us, uh, when I say a lot of us, I mean people, human beings in general, uh, have questions about who Jesus is when it comes to our personal relationship. Um, certainly people, before they come to know the Lord, certainly have questions about who he is. And, and these questions are all valid questions. you realize that Jesus wants us to ask questions about who he is? He wants us to be seeking after him. That's the whole point. What does it say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Well, he's not, he's not saying that just to, to make his head roar. He's saying it because he wants people to legitimately ask, seek, and knock. And ask questions about him. Now, understand something. When the Pharisees are not necessarily asking these questions to really... Uh, have great knowledge about who Jesus is. They they view him as the opposition. They view him as the contentious person that is coming in and trying to ruin their situation. Uh, well, they're contentious. Not Jesus is not really contentious. They're the ones who are contentious. But and all Jesus is doing is trying to answer their questions and pointing some things out to them about the way they live. So we're going to look at that in greater detail here in this particular passage. And we're going to see that there were questions about the emergence of the Messiah in the first place that Scripture actually talks about. So that's the other thing we'll be looking at as well here too. So with that in mind, as we get settled in here with our church audience, we thank everyone for being here today. God bless you for being here. Um, we have a pretty good, pretty full group here uh, for Sunday school, which is, a, which is a wonderful thing. And we also have the audience that's out uh, on the Internet uh, by way of Facebook, but we appreciate you being here. But let's go ahead and now all come together in prayer because that's the most important thing we can do before we start Sunday School. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful for your presence today. We are thankful for your teaching. We are thankful for, Lord, how you speak to us and give us wisdom and guidance. Lord, we continually want to learn more about you, and Lord, we want to never stop learning about you. But, Lord, it's the Spirit that gives us the desire to want to learn and want to hear more about what you have to say. Lord, we don't think we have it all together at all. We may be believers. We may be know the Lord. But, Lord, we'd want to know more about you every day. And we know that without you, we could not live in such a manner where you tell us to be holy because I am holy. We don't have that capability to do that. We need your help through the power of the Spirit to help us to live in that manner. We thank you for the teaching and the instruction and the guidance and your very presence. And we give you praise and thanks in all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to John chapter 7. Let's look at verses 25 through 36. John 7, verses 25 through 36. We are picking up in the chapter. And this is following when Jesus was teaching in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and there is just this ongoing dialogue. John captures pretty much a lot of the dialogue that takes place uh, within uh, this section here where there's always this 
going back and forth, back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders, this ongoing conflict. And the questions that are going to be asked here are, is, it, is this really the Christ that they're talking to? Is this really the one who is prophesied about? And we'll even look at a couple of passages, if I'm not mistaken, that will even discuss that very thing as well, too. So let's start reading John chapter 7, verse 25. We'll read down to verse 36, and then we'll go back over the passage. This is the New Living Translation. So please follow along in your Bible. Some of the people, verse 25, some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? You've got to understand something. I'm just interrupting this for just a moment. There's a big psychological thing going on here. The more Jesus speaks, the more he talks, he speaks with authority. He speaks as though one who knows what he's talking about. And, you know, they even ask, where does he get his education from? How does he know all this stuff? And understand that there's, the Pharisees are arguing with him all this time, but there's other people watching. There's other people looking at what's going on. And they're making up their minds about who Jesus is from this communication. So let's look at this further. Verse 27. How could, but how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. Verse 28. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. But I know him because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Verse 30. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. I'm going to read that passage one more time. Look at this very carefully. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. That's something to really keep in mind as we go forward. Verse 31, many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you accept the Messiah, expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer, then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? They asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Greeks. That's a great statement. Verse 36. What does he mean when he says, You will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. Now, as you look at this passage, that was John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36. You have to understand something here. You better believe that the Holy Spirit is present. And some of the words being spoken are actually prophetic in nature. If you really look at what is being said here. And you also look at how they tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. 
Now, how can you try and do something and yet no one will touch you? Well, that's because they were held back. The intent was there to arrest him, but the spirit held them back because it wasn't time yet for it to take place. God is in the midst of all of this. He's showing us that based upon the communication. He's also showing how people in the crowd are starting to believe that this is the Messiah because of the dialogue taking place. When we say that God works in mysterious ways, he truly does. But he's also quite capable of showing us through Scripture, as he's doing here, how he's affecting lives on the spot about God's goodness. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is prophesied. This is the one that indeed comes. And of course, not everybody believed, but you know what? God knows who's going to believe and who isn't going to believe. So let's go back over this passage again and let's talk about this. Jesus Christ was unavoidable. He was unavoidable because it was prophesied he would come. Back to verse 25. Let's start from the top. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? Well, the answer to that question is, yeah, they know he's somebody who's pretty important. They know that he's somebody who's significant. They are looking at what's happening here and they are making conclusions based upon the communication that's been taking place. One thing that is we have to recognize here too, and Jesus is speaking with authority. If you're speaking with authority, you're speaking as if you know what you're talking about, you know what you're saying. It's very convincing. It's very much a situation where we recognize that God is indeed in the midst of all of this communication. And that's what's happening here. And even though people tried to kill him, arrest him, yet he was still free enough to preach and speak in public. And of course Jesus knew that this was all happening and going to happen. But guess what? Those people who wanted to try to arrest him were held back. And many wondered whether this hostility that Jesus was experiencing publicly was indeed an admission that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And we can conclude, we, of course, we just have the aftermath of all of this. We, we know exactly who he was. We know that he was indeed the Messiah. That's the person that we're referring to here. And we have to recognize, too, that in John chapter 7, verse 27, look what it says in the passage. But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear and no one will know where he comes from. Well, that's partially true. But a lot of people didn't know how he was coming. There were people who thought it would be a great mystery. They know where he comes from because he was in the area. He was raised around there. That's the, that's the way why they're saying that. He was raised from a child, from an infant, and he you know grew up to be this person. But Jesus made sure that they were aware. Look at verse 28 again. 
While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true and you don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know about what's happening with that. The origin is unknown. And, you know, you have to understand that if you're not really following the Lord, yeah, you're, it's mysterious to you too. We have to understand there are a lot of people out there who are, who speak about Jesus, who talk about Jesus, but they really don't understand who Jesus is and what he's all about. You know, they look at him as a historical figure, and he is a historical figure, but they haven't gone beyond the man, Jesus, and looked at him and look at him as the Son of God. And that's what we have to come back to and look at. We have to recognize that, of course, he was born at, uh, in Bethlehem. He was part of a family that we were aware of. We know about that because we know he had brothers. He had half-brothers as well, too, brothers that he communicated with before the temple, uh, the tabernacle took place. That didn't explain the mystery of his person. And when we say person, we mean capital P. The person of Jesus, the God, God, Jesus. And we also, there's a mystery as far as his influence on men. How is it he could speak with such authority and have people believe that he's the Messiah? Well, we know that it's just as simple as one thing that God gives to all of us, faith. We believe in Jesus because he gives us the faith to believe in him. He has to give us faith. That's where it comes from. That explains the mystery of his person and the secret of his influence on men. We recognize that he is the only begotten son of the Father. We believe that in faith. It's in faith that we believe who Jesus is. His hearers immediately recognized the greatness of these claims. Of course, the Pharisees thought it was blasphemous. They were looking for any kind of reason, I'll be honest with you, just to get rid of him. If they want to accuse him of something, they really couldn't accuse him of doing anything wrong. But they tried to say he was blasphemous. Though he was telling the literal truth about who he was. And that's the thing that's hard for people to understand. People want to say there's multiple ways to come to God. Jesus said there's only one way. That's the literal truth. And that's a matter of you believing or not believing. Believing it or not believing it. And do you know that God gives every person he's ever created the ability to believe in the Lord? But otherwise, he would never make the statement, I, I, want for, I want every person, it's my desire for every person to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person has that innate ability to do so, to believe. But you have to choose to believe. That's a choice that you have to make. We're not created as robots. 
where we are programmed to believe whatever we are told to do. That's not who we are. We have a choice to believe. Amen? I don't know where that voice came from. That was, a, that was pretty interesting, wasn't it? So, take a look at... <laughs> please turn your Bibles electronic device to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to take a look at verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Now, Jesus' friends were confirmed in their faith. And if we were reading down further in John chapter 7, verse 31, there is this communication about how many believed in him. Many believed in who he was. We'll get to that. We'll come back to that. But I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. We have to understand that there is, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is, where I believe, where this passage is going, we have a certain, it's being equated in this passage to a sweet smell. A smell. Uh, you know, you have to understand that you know we're very sensory people, right? We we have the ability to, you know, we talk about the five senses: taste, touch. Well, smell is being used here in, in, in a scent in a very pleasant way. Look at verse 14, 2 Corinthians 2. But thank God, He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now look at what it says here. Now He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like. A sweet perfume. Like a sweet perfume. And the thing that comes to mind, too, we're talking about these senses, right? Um, was it Daniel who was given the scroll, or was that John that was given the scroll? I can't remember. That, that, that had the honey taste to it. Um, in Revela- I think it's in Revelation. It must have been John. And <clears throat> it had a sweet taste to it like honey, right? These are all pleasant tastes, smells. That's what the Word of God is being equated to. Look at verse 15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Ooh. Hang on now. Fasten your seatbelt for this next passage. Verse 16. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Now, for those of you who are creatives and for those of you who are into sensory stuff, we know what sweet-smelling perfume smells like. Amen? Do you know what death smells like? Oh, it's an awful smell. Deterioration. You know, hey, look, when you open up your refrigerator and you've got some fish in there that doesn't smell good, you're ready to throw that stuff out yesterday as soon as you discover it. You know what decay smells like? Well, death is a smell of decay. So, It's just interesting. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? 
We are to be fragrant in our ministry. And is it, it, it just sounds to me like those who have made the decision to not follow Jesus, we must repel them to the degree that they just want to wallow in their own unbelief. I hadn't really noticed this passage before. I guess I had just read it and just didn't really think about it. But we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be that fragrant smell to those who are ready and willing to hear the message of truth. Now, there was a point in my life where I wasn't ready to hear the message. But the Lord knows when that's going to change or when that's going to happen. If you remember my message when I was talking about the preacher on the street who said I needed Jesus, and I basically just I told a, a lie and said, I, I have Jesus in my heart. And I said, no, I didn't really have Jesus in my heart. I just wanted to get rid of the guy who was talking to me. I wanted to repel him at that point. I wanted to repel the message. And we have to understand that there are a lot of people who live in that manner. They know about who Jesus is. They've heard enough to start asking questions about who he is, but they've decided... Well, I'm, I'm not ready to slow down yet. I'm not ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to party. Yeah, you're ready to live for yourself. We must continue to be this fragrance. And when we're looking at this chapter, this section of John chapter 7, look at all the different reactions that people were having. If you go further back in John chapter 7, verse 12, they were, saying, or they, they were saying he was a good man. They were saying he was a fraud at the same time in the same sentence. Some were saying that. They were saying he was demon-possessed in John chapter 7, verse 20. Um, he was referred to as the Messiah in this passage we're reading right now in verse 26. And the prophet who had been coming uh, that had been predicted by Moses. And that's further down. We read past this and we get to that next week. Everybody was making up their minds about who Jesus was. We had to ultimately make up our mind about who Jesus was to become a believer in Jesus Christ. You got to make up your mind. It's not about believers twisting anybody's arms, amen? It, we don't twist anybody's arms to believe. But why are we so offensive? Because we must smell like death to these people. You have to understand that people don't hate you nearly as much as they hate Jesus. You're the messenger. They don't care for it. But we must smell like death to those people who choose not to believe who Jesus is. We have to make up our own minds. We had to make up our own minds. Remember I said every person has the ability to believe in Jesus if they choose to. Because that's not going to contradict with his verse about wanting every person having the desire for them to have. It's God's will for every person to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's in his will. That's what he wants. Therefore, every person has that ability to believe. But they have to choose to believe. There was a popular tradition at that time that the Messiah would just simply appear, just show up. 
Well, he kind of did that. But those who believe that tradition were ignoring the total scriptures that clearly predicted the Messiah's birthplace. Where is that at? Go to Micah. Micah chapter 5. Verse 2. Verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2. Micah's after Jonah. The next passage, next book after Jonah. Micah 5, verse 2. When people talk about the Old Testament, I don't want to read the Old Testament. It's just too much to go through. Okay, well, you're just being lazy. You're just being lazy. There's passages all throughout the Old Testament that talk about Jesus coming. This is one of them. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people, all the people of Judah. Yet, a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Where? Bethlehem. It was mentioned right here. Ephrathah is, is just another name for Bethlehem, by the way. He is coming, a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. How in the world, how is Micah talking about the distant past? Well, what's the distant past? The origin of man coming from the distant past. There had to be a creator. It's going to come from you. So these people were forgetting what it says in Scripture about where Jesus would emerge. They're in Jerusalem there, but he was born in Bethlehem. You know, there's no accidents when God puts forth prophecy. Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to do what? Pay the taxes. That's not where they originated. They wound up in Bethlehem. All of these things are planned out according to what God had prophesied. So they had forgotten where he was supposed to come from. And yet, there he is. He was clearly predicted that he would be in Bethlehem. And now he's speaking in Jerusalem. And everybody says, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? Well, some people just believed. Some people just trusted it. And frankly, all the prophecy is that comes true about Jesus is just confirmation of God's word being true. It just confirms God's word being, as being true. You know, you can go and buy a New Testament by itself if you want to. If you go to a bookstore, you can buy the New Testament. Just buy a, a copy of the New Testament. And that's, that's all well and good. But the Old Testament needs to be part of your reading process. It needs to be part of how you read, how you study the Word. We always have to remember that the Old Testament is not nullified because of Jesus' presence. Yes, He does have a new covenant, but He is the confirmation of the word spoken in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the word spoken in the Old Testament. Therefore, the Old Testament is completely relevant to our study time.
Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. There's a conflict. There's a division. This is nothing strange about the world today. Our world is divided. Our world is divided all the time. There's always conflict. And the conflict goes deeper than, you know, armed warfare or maybe even just different groups of people and stuff like that. The conflict goes much deeper than that. The conflict is in whether or not the risen Christ is Lord. That's where the conflict is. We have conflict in our own churches about that. We have conflict about those people who choose to speak about the importance of finances and wealth and you can do this to achieve that. But they don't mention Jesus. Jesus is not part of that. Jesus is not part of the conversation. That's in our own churches. Present company excluded. Amen? Amen. That was a big amen. That's right. Yeah, our church doesn't talk about that stuff. And a lot of churches don't, but there are a lot that do. Conflict. And you have to understand, let's go back to verse 28. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. Yeah, he comes from that distant past. That's where his origin is. And the statement that he's making is quite interesting. It's like, you think you know me. You see me. This is how Jesus faith. You think you know who I am, but you really don't know me. You're, you're still trying to figure out who I am right now. You don't really know me. And he's really kind of telling the Pharisees that. You don't know who I am. You think you know where I've come from, but you really don't know. You don't know. Now, look at verse 29. But I know him because I come from him and he sent me to you. Well, that must have been a trigger because the next passage, verse 30, then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Even though they were anxious to take Jesus, they couldn't touch him. Couldn't touch him. It's like they're going, "Ah, I can't, can't do anything. Wasn't time. God is in control of everything taking place when we read this passage. And it's not about controlling the minds of people. You notice he wasn't controlling the minds of anybody. They wanted to take him. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted him captured. That was still going on. But the physicality of it didn't seem to matter. They couldn't get to him. His time had not yet come. He was in control of it. Now look what it says in verse 31. And it was maybe it was because the Spirit was working to get people to understand who Jesus was, the people in the crowd. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. Many means more than half. A lot of people 
believed in who Jesus was at that point. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? They had seen his work. They had seen what he had done. They were pointing to the different miracles. They saw the healings. They may have even been there when they saw when he was feeding the 5,000 plus. Some dude just showing up is not going to just be able to do all this stuff. And sometimes, for us, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. The evidence was there for them. Would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? Now, look at verse 32. When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, uh uh-oh, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. They sent the guards. And you have to understand that the Lord told the Pharisees that they would take him at the proper time, but not until then. They weren't going to dictate when Jesus was going to be taken into custody. God would dictate that. God would make for that to take place. And it wasn't time, but there was plenty of time at that very moment to reach a bunch of people for Jesus. So that's what was taking place. The Pharisees were getting scared. They heard people believing, we think this man is the Messiah. We think this man is legit. He is the legit one. He is the one. And they didn't like that. But yet, Jesus is telling them, look at verse 33. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. Verse 34, you will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. Now that language to the person who doesn't believe in Jesus or doesn't know who he is, that just sounded like a bunch of poppycock. What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't know where you're going? But those words meant everything to those who believed in who he was. They looked at him more from a a sense of not just a man, but the Messiah, the one sent from God. So we have different responses from the crowd. Pharisees getting freaked out. Didn't like what they were hearing. Now look what it says in verse 35. John chapter 7 verse 35. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? They asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in other lands? Because there were Jews in other lands. They weren't just in Jerusalem. They were living in other areas. Maybe he will even teach the Greeks. Now, wait a minute. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Why are they concerned about whether or not he's teaching the Greeks? They are diametrically opposed to each other. The Gentiles and the Jews are diametrically opposed. They are not, they did not associate with each other. Why are they uttering a statement 
about whether or not he's going to teach the Greeks. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? Now, ultimately, Jesus did not go to teach these Greeks, but the followers did. The ones left behind, his disciples, went to teach the Greeks. They went through all the different lands outside of Jerusalem to teach. I take that as a prophetic statement. Because ultimately, it's the Word of God that is being used to teach these Gentiles, these Greeks, these people that are being referred to. That just jumped right out at me. I'm like, where did that come from? Now, and it was a way almost to mock Jesus by saying that. Why is he going to all these different places? But I don't, I don't, I, I take it that way, but I also say, you know what? I, maybe they thought that Jesus couldn't hide from them. They would track him down, do whatever. You know, they, Jesus was a public figure. They didn't have to track him down. They didn't have to chase him down. When they finally were allowed to arrest him, he was in a public place. He wasn't out hiding. If anything, he wanted to make sure that he was not taken to be a ruler ahead of time. So he went away and hid at that point. But notice how it's always about it's not the proper time. And honestly, verse 36, what does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me and you cannot go where I'm going? Well, what does that mean? Where he's going, they weren't going. You're going to search for me but not find me. It actually has a double meaning to it. The people who are non-believers, they really aren't trying to find Jesus to become a believer in Jesus. They're trying to find him to execute him. It must be the... There must have been a stench in the noses of those Pharisees because we're talking about the goodness of Christ and following Christ and they were threatened by his presence and they did not want him to be around because they were losing authority. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was on a day where they would pour out the water, a double portion of water in the temple and J. Vernon McGee makes a statement. He said, I think he could have been standing ankle deep in water when he said the words about, you'll search for me but not find me. And where you, and you cannot go where I'm going. And the people there who really believed in him were probably looking at him in the, from the standpoint that water was being provided. And a lot of people were coming to, from the outside of Jerusalem and, you know, get thirsty, need something to drink. There was that double portion of water that was given. But what we need to look at here is that there is symbolism in that. Paul told us that the rock was Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. And we're on the home stretch here. We need to... Boy, time goes by so quickly. I'm like, oof, I can't believe it. We're on time though. 
Just so you know. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Verse 3 leads in to that, saying, All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus Christ, that rock, that firm foundation. He is the firm foundation of our faith. He is the rock. He's the one who gives us what? The real water. The living water. The water of life. And so when we look at these passages and we read between the lines and we see what's going on, we have to kind of remember where we're at. We're in the temple area. And that's where he's speaking to the people. And that's where these things are taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Booths, whatever you want to call it. That's the same thing. But Jesus is showing us that he is the real water, the water of life. The ones who believed in him, they truly believed he was the Messiah. The words of Jesus were very sweet to them. Very fragrant. But the words of those who speaking the word of truth to those who don't believe doesn't smell very good. That's because that person is making a choice not to believe in Jesus. Every person has to decide where they want to come down when it comes to who Jesus is. Every person has to make a decision about who Jesus is in their own heart. Not because someone tells them, but because you believe or don't believe one way or the other. Amen. We don't twist arms. We just go and speak the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He wasn't twisting anybody's arm. You either choose to believe or you don't. Pharisees chose not to. They made a decision. They may have thought he was the Messiah, but they chose not to believe in him as Lord. So as we go further in this study and we continue next week, we'll see more of this. But recognize that a lot of what we're seeing here in this passage is really about life today. There aren't that many people going to church anymore. There aren't that many people who are choosing to believe in Jesus. They're making a choice to follow what their own path is. For those within the sound of my voice, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your teaching. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for how the Spirit indeed provides information, wisdom and knowledge that reinforces and even bolsters our faith. And Lord, you're ready, willing, and able to speak to any person who does not know you. But Lord, we must be receptive to your very presence in order for us to acknowledge the faith that you're trying to give to us. We thank you, Lord, for how people are getting saved every moment. And yet there's much more for us to do to convey your truth to others. We thank you. We just want to praise you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining me for another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Stay tuned later on in our timeline for our live church message. Uh, We appreciate you being here. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time.